Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Now, uh, some of you might be thinking, how in the world did Pastor Hefner decide on what Christmas carols and Christmas songs to talk about? Because the reality is, we have six weeks of Advent worship services. I hesitate to say Sundays because right now we're recording on a Wednesday that you'll see on a Sunday and that some in the room are here on a Wednesday. So it's not really six Sundays. It's six worship weeks, six Advent weeks that we're gathered to worship. And, the, and there are many, many more Christmas carols than we could ever unpack. Uh, and some of your favorites might be in the mix and some of your favorites might not be in the mix. So how did we decide which ones to choose? Well, part of the way that I decided which ones that we would unpack is I looked at the stories that framed the songs. Where did they come from? And as I came across this one, I wonder as I wonder, I really could not set it aside. And number one, it's just a haunting melody. It's a beautiful, very simple song that will actually drive us to some very beautiful truths from the pages of Scripture. But the story behind it is even more wonderful. John Jacob Niles was a writer. He was a compiler of folk songs. He actually traveled across uh, the the mountains of Appalachia, uh, discovering songs from all over our heritage and history. And in 1933, he was traveling through Murphy, North Carolina, and he watched a scene kind of play out before his eyes. There was a family that was in town, and they were in town doing some business, trying to sell some things from their car and their cart of things that they were selling. And they were selling in the town, but they had basically made their home in the town. They were living there in the center of town, and they were kind of being asked to leave. They were, they, the, the town was tired of buying their stuff and tired of this family kind of uh, squatting there in their community. And as John Jacob Niles was watching this scene on play, he heard a little girl, about a nine-year-old girl, sing the words to this song that you've just heard, I Wonder As I Wonder. And he listened to her, and he called her over, and he asked her to sing it back to him. And as she sang it, he wrote it down. And over the course of the next months and years, John Jacob Niles researched and tried to divine the origins of the song. Where did it come from? Who wrote it down? Where was it ever heard again? Was it written down by someone else? And according to his research, it's the only place he ever heard it. Can't find an author for it. It can't do anything else other than he put music to it, and you've heard it, I wonder, as I wonder. And it really gets at the theme of Christmas in one sense, the theme of wonder. I remember when I was a five-year-old kid waking up on Christmas morning, and the anticipation and the excitement and the energy and being told by my parents we have to eat breakfast first and we're going to read the Christmas story and, and then we're going to sit down and one by one open the gifts and that wonder and that excitement and that, that looking forward. Now, maybe, maybe you haven't lost that as an adult, but likely what happens is after you do that a time or two, in the 15 and 25 and 35 and now for me at 40 years old, the wonder of opening those Christmas gifts maybe goes away just a little bit. 
It's so easy for us to lose that sense of wonder. We get this text from Isaiah chapter 9, and it was read earlier in Scripture, Isaiah 9, where, For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this or perform this. The idea of wonderful, wonder. What does that mean? It means something unique. The, the, the concept of us pausing to wonder is a reflection on the fact that what God says was going to happen, the promise of the birth of a savior, of a child who would be king, who would be redeemer, is that he will do something that is utterly unique, that is wonderful, that is so astounding that we'll have to turn our attention to it and we'll be in awe of what takes place. But in contemporary culture, in this 20th century and 21st century in which we live, 2020 in the year of years that many of us have experienced, there are some enemies to wonder, some things that kind of draw our attention away from awe and wonder and and, and shift us towards something else. One of those enemies would be listlessness. Listlessness. That's, That's the idea of wondering purposelessly. Sometimes it's okay to wonder with an A. To, to take a walk in the woods or take a walk on the beach, just kind of having a relaxing moment. But oftentimes what happens in our day-to-day experience is that we move through the day without much purpose, without much intentionality, with a, a he- heavy dose of listlessness. We kind of shift the TV channel from a movie to a TV show or back to a reality television program, or to a sports game. And there's really no purpose to it. We're just skipping commercials. Or if you're, you're, you've moved into the arena of, uh, of, of digital television, such as Netflix or Amazon Prime, you don't have to worry about commercials. You just skip back and forth between the programs you like. And you'll watch this program, you'll watch that program, it's kind of moving back and forth. Sometimes we do that with our phones. Go from this app to that app, to this news source, to this Facebook page, back to this Twitter feed, or, or to this other thing. And, and we're just moving, and, and there's really no purpose to it. It's aimless. It's listless. And, and I'm not saying that that's always bad, but here's the problem. When that is the general pattern of our lives, and we do that day after day, moment after moment, time after time, what does it do? It moves us into this period of kind of... What are we here for? Am I here to check a score on a, on a game? Am I here to read another news article that's going to make me even more depressed than the news articles that I read yesterday? Uh, I mean, what, what is my life about? And listlessness can be an enemy of wonder. It's not the only enemy of wonder that we live with in our day and age. We live with the enemy of cynicism. I don't credit David Jeremiah for this. In one of his books on worship, he talks about cynicism Uh, Being cynical, being an enemy of wonder. What is being cynical? What's doubting everything? It's being skeptical of everything. And, And there's reason for that. I mean, for years I've known that because I use an iPhone and an iPad, that eventually my iPhone battery is going to run out. 
And I've always wondered, why is that? Why do my iPhone batteries run out? And, you know, we've had this conversation among our staff and some others. And, you know, maybe Apple's doing that, so they'll make you buy a new iPhone. Well, guess what? They just lost a lawsuit. And in the lawsuit, it came out that one of their operating system uh, goals was actually to make your iPhone battery die. Why? So that when your phone battery dies and you need a new phone, you'll go buy a new Apple iPhone. It's no wonder we're cynical. Because as we look around us, there are a lot of things to be cynical about. There are a lot of folks who are trying to take us or dupe us. There are a lot of things that happen in our experiences that discourage us. There are a lot of people that say, I'm going to do this, and they end up doing the exact opposite of what they said they were going to do. And, and it's understandable that many of us walk around in cynicism. But here's the problem. If we walk around cynical all the time, we lose a sense of awe and wonder. Because while there may be some things in our society to be cynical about, there are definitely some things within Scripture and within our relationship with the Holy God that are worth us wondering about and living and existing in awe and in praise and in glory and in acknowledgement of who God is. There have been some distinct times in my life where I just gazed at something in wonder. I can remember going to Alaska for the first time. I was on a mission trip and driving from Anchorage to the place where our team was working. We had to drive through mountains. And mountains in Alaska are different than mountains here. They just are. They're massive. And they're snow-topped even in July. And it's just awe-inspiring to see that God made that. It's awe-inspiring, or at least it was for me, the first time I was in an airplane looking out down upon the clouds. Looking down upon the clouds. This is kind of cool. And then a little bit scary if you think about you know, something going wrong with the plane at the moment. But anyway, uh, it's awe-inspiring. I can remember being wondered and wowed the day that I got married and looking down the aisle and seeing my wife and her beautiful bridal dress. There have been times when I have existed in wonder and awe. What I'd like to ask you to do for the next 20 minutes or so is join me on a journey looking at three truths from the pages of Scripture that teach us to wonder. So here's the first truth that teaches us to wonder. I want you to wonder at the depth of your own depravity. I you to wonder at the very depth of your own sinfulness. You say, Pastor, hold on a second. You told me that when we had this Advent sermon series, you were going to encourage us. You were going to help us put a smile on our faces and think about things that were good. And now in this second sermon that you're preaching, you're telling me you want me to look at the depth of my own depravity. Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. And I'll tell you why in a minute. It'll make a lot more sense. But here, here's what I mean by this. We have a tendency to compare ourselves, don't we? We have a tendency to compare ourselves. If you look around at other people, you can imagine other people in your similar spheres of life. And you are going to think about some of those people. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm better than that person. Or sometimes you'll look at some other people and you'll say, I'm, I'm, I'm not as good at that person. Now, now, some of you are sitting there all sanctimonious and thinking to yourself and acting like, I don't do that. I don't compare myself to other people. I, baloney. 
Maloney, we all have a tendency to compare ourselves to other people. I compare myself to church members and sometimes to other pastors and, and other friends and think, man, man, I, I'm smarter than that guy. Or, or I, I would say that different than them. Our criticisms sometimes take the form of comparison. Now, Thomas Hobbes, the 17th century political theorist, he, he, uh, he suggested that the fact that we all compare ourselves to each other really means that we are, uh, we're, we're equal. We're, we're just alike. It's a reflection of the way that humans are like each other, that we compare ourselves to one another. If we're honest, we do that quite often. We can look at a situation and say, man, that person made a really sinful choice and I wouldn't make that choice. I wouldn't do that. And it's a way for us to build ourselves up and think a little more highly of ourselves. What I'd like you to do for a moment is stop comparing yourself to someone in the room. Stop comparing yourself to a husband or a wife. Stop comparing yourself to a church member. Stop comparing yourself for a moment to someone else in your sphere of job or influence. And compare yourself to the only one that it really matters who you compare yourself to, Jesus himself. See, Jesus is utterly and absolutely and completely perfect. Where you got angry today and said something out of turn, Jesus never would have done that. Where you looked at something and desired it covetously, Jesus never did that. Where, where you may have uh, acted in a way that was out of the way or dishonest or didn't fully keep your word, Jesus would have never done that. The reality is, folks, the only comparison that we should ever make from ourselves to anyone else is a comparison from ourselves to Jesus. He's perfect, and we are so not perfect. We should take a moment and do a deep dive into the depth of your depravity. Think about how bad you really were before you came to faith in Jesus. You remember what you were doing before you came to a relationship with God? Were you involved in drugs or addicted to alcohol? Maybe, maybe you, you liked chasing parties and doing things that made your life feel better. Maybe for you it was pride. Maybe it was arrogance. Maybe it was uh, taking money or, or building yourself up economically and, and thinking only and all about money. Maybe it was a whole host of other things. What was it? What was it that you did? If you were to do a deep dive back into your past, what would you discover about your sinful self? Say, Pastor, why are you asking me to do that? Aren't we supposed to forget how sinful we are? Well, here's the reality. We do forget how sinful we are. Do you know why we always come out on the best end of those comparisons? Because here's what we do, folks. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, and we criticize everybody else's sinfulness to the T. When in reality, what we need to do is criticize our own sinfulness to the T and give other people the benefit of the doubt. That's not what we do. The reason I want you to take a deep dive into your own sinfulness for just a little bit this morning is because if you will, you're going to get a chance to see something wonderful and glorious about God. Because the reality is, folks, yes, you were sinful because before you came to Christ. And some of you are watching or listening and you haven't come to Christ yet. And you are deeply involved in wickedness and sinfulness. And that sinfulness will lead you to a separation from God. Uh, Jeremiah put it this way in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. We are completely and totally and fully sinful. There's not any part of us that in and of itself is redeemable by our own goodness or by our own good works. 
And the reality for those of us that are followers of Jesus or for those of us that aren't in this moment is the fact that we're still that sinful. Yes, when I was 18, I was forgiven and God looked down at me and my self-righteousness and pride and graciously offered me a chance to be cleansed and forgiven. He did and I'm grateful for that. You know what I discover if I look down in my own heart even now? I still see those tendencies toward self-centeredness and arrogance and self-righteousness and pride. I still see those movements toward anger and those statements and things that are ungodly. Folks, we need to wonder at the depth of our own depravity. There's sometimes that we need to pause and think about how bad we really are or how bad we really were. I'm going to tell you to do something that we're going to come back to at the end of the sermon as well. I would invite you at some point this week to take out a journal or take out a piece of paper. If you journal, it would be ideal if you do already journal. And I want you to just write down how bad you think you really are. Do a deep dive into your sinfulness. Reflect on some things that you're really, really wrong about. Acknowledge that. And here's why I want you to do a deep dive into your own sinfulness and depravity is because the second thing that, second truth that we need to reflect on and wonder about is we need to wonder about the extent of God's reach to save us. Do you realize how far Jesus came to save you? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about how long of a trip it was for Jesus to become our Savior and our Redeemer. How far he had to reach down into the miry pit of clay and disgustingness and wickedness and sin to redeem us. Have you thought about that lately? Because if you really think about it, it will turn us to a place of wonder and awe. I mean, think about what Jesus left behind. He left behind the glories of heaven to become an infant that would be laid in a feeding trough. He, he set aside the, the wonder of worship in, and exaltation from the angels and the creatures in heaven to be mocked by men, to be ignored, to be forgotten, to be treated like one of the Old Testament prophets who was not heard. We should wonder at the extent of God's reach to save us. The story of Christmas is the story about God coming down. It's the story about God taking on human flesh so that we could be forgiven and so that we could be redeemed. God came down in human flesh and took on the body of suffering and difficulty and limitations of humanity so that he could save us. Think about how long that journey was. I mean, what, what's the longest journey you've ever taken for doing good things? I mean, some of us have been on mission trips, and I've gone all the way to South Africa. That's probably the longest journey I've taken. Uh, some, some of you have gone stateside on a trip. Some of you have driven across the country to rescue a child from a poor decision and, or to pick up a child from college. I mean, you've done some really cool things to take care of a child or a family member, or you've done some really cool things to share the good news of Jesus with lost people across the world. But none of our trips come even anywhere close to Jesus' trip from heaven to earth. It's a long way for Jesus to come to rescue people. Just think about this. If Christ set aside the glories of heaven to suffer 
inside the pains and limitations of humanity, do you really think that the depth of your doubts and worries are outside of his reach? How about this one? If Christ set aside the worship of angels, the adoration of heaven's creatures, the experience of heaven's throne for the smells and the splinters of an animal's feeding trough, do you really think that the dark places of your heart and mind are too deep and depraved for Jesus to reach? Or how about this? If Christ set aside heaven's throne of glory for earth's cross of suffering, do you really think that your suffering, pain, and experiences of being wronged or treating others wrong are beyond his reach? See, here's the tendency. Here's what happens with us. Some of us think that we're not really that bad and God ought to be grateful that we're in his family. And others of us think this, we're so bad, there's no way at all that God could forgive us. Some of you watching right now or listening by way of radio, some of you are in this place where you think, there's no way, there's no way God can forgive me. I mean, I, mean, I know what I did last week. I know what I did last night. I, I know what I did and I know what I've done and I know where I've come from. I know what's happened to me. I know what's been done to me and I know what I've done to other people and there's no way God can forgive. Do you really think though that if God could come from heaven to earth to be your savior, that the distance between your sin and the cross is any further? I mean, that's the glory of Christmas, right? Think about this for a moment. The distance between the cross and your sinfulness is far less than the distance between heaven and the cross. If Jesus 2,000 years ago came from heaven to walk on planet earth, to die on a cross for your sins and for my sins, then what he died for and what he can save you from is anything and everything. There's no one under the sound of my voice that has done anything to such a degree that God wouldn't save that God wouldn't wash away, that God wouldn't cleanse, that God would not forgive. And for those of you that are believers listening to me today, this should be a really good reminder and a really good encouragement for you as followers of Jesus. Do you know that all of your sins were in the future when Christ died on the cross? Not just the sins committed prior to your conversion, all of your sins, and God still saved you. He still accepted your confession of faith and your repentance and your trust in him. He accepted that knowing that when you trusted him, you would still have an anger problem or you would still have a pride problem or you would still have an addiction problem or you would still have a lust problem or whatever it was. He knew that when he saved you and he still reached down to save you. Folks, we should really wonder at the extent of God's reach to save. If you will look back at how far you were from God and think about that without qualification, without condemnation, without saying anything about our unrighteousness other than it was wrong. In other words, God didn't make a, a deal with us. He didn't say, you do better this week and I'll save you next week. God said, I came to be your savior. I'm going to forgive you. You trust in me without any other qualification about our sinfulness. When we think that that's what God did to save us, folks, that should lead us to wonder. It should lead us to wonder. What I would invite you to do in that journal that I asked you to write down how far you really went down the rabbit trail of sin, you remember when God forgave you and redeemed you. You remember that day when God came clear to you and he spoke to your heart and he brought you to a faith relationship with himself. You remember that day. And don't remember it as if it was just, eh, 
a bled memory. Remember it as the day when God wiped away those sins and brought you in a relationship with himself. Folks, that will teach us to wonder, to be in awe. That the God of the universe who is holy and righteous would look down into our sinfulness and not turn away in wrath and in anger, but would accept us in forgiveness because of what his son did. We should wonder at the extent of God's reach to save. Here's the third truth about wondering as believers, wondering with an O. We should wonder at the glories that are to come. Now, some of us think about heaven and we think about the new Jerusalem. Because really, in our minds, the, the, the streets of gold and the crystal sea and all of those things that are described in the book of Revelation, they're really descriptors of the new Jerusalem that God's going to build. They're, they're not in particular what it, heaven is like at the moment. The heaven is like at the moment we don't know a whole lot about. We've got some small images, uh, Isaiah's image in Isaiah 6, maybe John's in, John, in Revelation chapter 1, uh, the, the heavenly creatures that are praising and singing God at the throne room in Revelation chapter 5, and there are a few other places. But what heaven is like at the moment, the place where God dwells, we're, we're really not exactly sure what it all looks like. Paul had a snippet of that vision in 2 Corinthians 12, but God wouldn't let him write about it. He wouldn't let him declare it, and he ended up giving giving Paul a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble after the vision that he had. So there's a lot about heaven as it is right now that we don't know. We don't know what those glories are. We just know that it's a whole lot better than earth now. Let, let me give you some of those glories that I think we should wonder about. Let me give you one that I thought about this week. In heaven, in the glory that is to come, we will never have to be skeptical of what we're told. I know people that have been duped. I know people that have lost money because someone told them they had the greatest deal ever. They lied and they, got, they had money stolen. I know people who have lost innocence because someone lied to them. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you a glory of heaven. You're never gonna have to be skeptical of what you're told in heaven. You're never gonna have to walk through glory, heaven's glory, cynical. Because God, the one who is the way, the truth, and life, is the one who will be speaking. Let me tell you something. That I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to no fake news. I'm looking forward to no iPhones. I'm looking forward to no cell phones and cell towers. I'm looking forward to those things in heaven that let me know I don't have to be skeptical. I don't have to be fearful. I don't have to be worried about what I'm told. Here's another one. We will not have to assume the worst about people. Now, some of you in the room are people that assume the best about people. That's good. I'm happy for you. I'm glad we have people like you around. For the rest of us normal folks, we tend to have a skeptical nature in us and we assume the worst about people. Why do we assume the worst about people? Because we've been proven right. Am I wrong? I'll tell you something, when we get to heaven, you're not going to have to assume the worst about people because only the best people are there. Actually, I shouldn't say it that way. Only the people that are made perfect are there. It's not about being best or good or right. It's about being forgiven. But when we're in that state of heaven with God, everyone's going to be right. Everyone's going to be faithful. Everyone's going to be one you can count on and trust. We won't have to assume the worst about people. Let me give you a third one. We will be able to experience life and creation as they were intended. That I'm really looking forward to. Do you realize that when God created the world in Genesis 1, it was good? It was perfect. It didn't have disease. It didn't have death. 
It didn't have pandemics. Adam and Eve didn't have to wear a mask. Shoot, they didn't have to wear clothes. Why? Because there wasn't sin present. You know what God says he's going to do? He's going to restore that innocence. He's going to restore that sense of goodness. When we get to heaven one day, your aunt or your uncle or your mom or your dad that have suffered for so long with physical ailments, they're not going to have those physical ailments anymore. Those family members that you've loved, that you've watched enter into a debilitating state of Alzheimer's where where their body's present, but they're not there anymore. Their their mind is not there anymore. And and there has been love and there's there's been a care from a husband to a wife or a wife to a husband in that state of watching Alzheimer's take place. And that is beautiful and that is glorious and that is a testimony that people need to see and witness. But I'm gonna tell you, when we get to heaven, Alzheimer's will be no more. Cancer will be no more. Heart disease will be no more because things will be restored as they were intended to be. Folks, that's something to wonder about. Something to rejoice about. It's something to look forward to. Let me say something to you as unbelievers for just a moment. You need to know that God loves you more than anything else in the world. And the reason that he sent Jesus at Christmas is so Jesus would die on a cross during Passion Week so that your sins, the sins we've talked about, can be cleansed and forgiven. And if you're in that position, in that situation where your sins haven't been cleansed and you've not entered into a relationship with the living God, I would beg of you not to go past this Christmas season without trusting Jesus to be your Savior. You admit that you're a sinner, you acknowledge that you're unrighteous, and you're, because you're unrighteous, you can't earn God's favor. You believe on the Lord Jesus that he died on a cross and that he rose from the dead so that you could experience forgiveness. And you tell him that through a prayer. And then you commit your life to following him. You say, I'm willing to let you be Lord of my life because you died to be my savior. If you'd like to trust Jesus to be your savior, I'd love nothing more than to tell you how you can do that. Call the church office. 336-667-1271, info at wilkesboroughbaptist.org. Any way you want to contact us, you contact us. Let us know. I'd love to tell you how you can put Jesus as your Savior and Lord. For those of you that are believers, that are followers of Jesus, I'm going to ask you, do that journal this week. Detail the depth of your own depravity. Write down and remember that day when Jesus changed you and saved you. And if you want to have a lot of fun, why don't you think about some of those things you're looking forward to in heaven? Think, think, about, think about the fact that you're going to see that mom or that dad in heaven. I got to thinking about this today. I spent some time this week in, in sermon prep. I don't often do this, but in sermon prep this week, I just spent some time thinking and wondering, trying to apply this sermon in, in the preparation aspect. And one of the things I thought was this. All the things that I dream about heaven being like, my mom already knows. Because she's there. And I just, that, that just brought me joy. That, that gave me a sense of wonder. I'll close it with this. A little city girl traveled to the country one day with her mom. And because she was in the city, it was hard for her to see the night sky. But in the country, she got to see the brightness and the glory of the night sky. And here's what she said to her mom. Mom... If heaven is so beautiful on the wrong side, can you imagine what it's like on the right side? Can you imagine what heaven is like on the other side? It's wonderful. It's worth our worship. And Jesus came as a little baby so that we can know him and so that he could take us there.
Folks, that should lead us to wonder. Stand with me, if you will. Father, we come to you in this moment, and I pray for those that are watching on YouTube or Facebook, Vimeo, they're watching on television, they're listening on the radio, they're in the room. Father, you know every heart. You know those that have not experienced your forgiveness and have not trusted you as Lord and Savior. I pray especially for them right now. I pray that you would show yourself in glory and in greatness to them as Lord and as holy and as righteous, as Savior and as Redeemer. And I pray, Lord, that in this moment, you would help them to come to a place where they will trust you as Lord and as Savior. Father, I don't just pray for them because there are a lot that aren't listening that we're concerned about and we're worried about. And we want them to know you as Lord and Savior. I pray for them as well. Neighbors, children, grandchildren, family members, friends. I ask God that you would help us as communicators of your truth and as Believers who pray, I I pray that you would use us this year to maybe share the wonder of our salvation with those who are lost. And may they become followers of you this year. Heavenly Father, I pray for us as believers. It's easy to get lost in the cynicism that surrounds us. It's easy to get distracted by so many purposeless things. Father, for this week, in this worship service, maybe in our journals, Help us to pause and wonder at the glory of a God who would look down at sinners who are fully wicked and totally depraved and still reach down into our ungodliness and redeem us and save us. Father, may that lead us to worship. May that lead us to praise. May that lead us to give you glory and to give you honor. Pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.